Hello, and welcome to Ghost Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hi, I'm Connor. Oh, you said it this time. There's <laughs> <laughs> a, a little something for Putan listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering if you'd catch that. Yeah. Uh, well, we are back once again, um, and hopefully people caught the, the whole thing I put at the beginning of last episode, but we did not watch the movie. Uh, we won't watch the movie until the strike is over. We are just going straight to the question bucket. So, um, should we just get into it or do you have, do you have any preliminary thoughts? No, let's just get into it. Okay. Um, I can probably just read all of these if, if you want. Um, Sure. Yeah. So our first email comes in from Rick. Uh, Rick says, if you had to swap one Ghost in the Shell character and one Psychopath character between shows, who are you swapping? How do the shows change or not change with the swap? I think I have. (laughs) I have a couple ideas. Yeah. Um, First one is, I don't know who's getting swapped from Ghost in the Shell universe. But part of me would like to see Karin Amori in Ghost in the Shell universe. I feel yeah. like she would just like slot in. Maybe like Ishikawa. If she just takes Ishikawa's spot. Yeah, just just like uh, swap her in for the sluttiest Ghost in the Shell character. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I, and I think I know how the show changes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the the actual change. I mean, the the thing that makes sense is that they're both like the the back at base on the computer hacking, doing that kind of thing. Right, person. that's what stays the same. Yeah, uh, but what changes is um, now there's like somebody else who can uh, hold their own against the major when it comes to like you know being the the hot in charge lady around here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because Ghost in the Shell, aside from the major, is just a bunch of guys, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, the closest to like another hot lady in charge is Aramaki. <laughs> yeah. Um. So my other my other thought is if you swap Kagami and Bato. Yeah, I was I was I was debating who to swap with Bato, but part of me wants to uh let let Bato go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanna see what happens to Bato when he goes into <clears throat> I think it would be highly amusing if Bato went into Psychopath's world. Yeah. Um I feel like in Psychopath's world, Bato maybe has a, a slightly larger chance of um sort of breaking out of the the system that he's in Mm. you know yeah yeah because he's already like predisposed to uh you know he's like a he's such a renegade (laughs) uh so he's like predisposed to challenge the within within ghost in the shell bato to me is the character who expresses the most like uh discomfort with his job but then we'll we'll still do it again. But he will like have these moments of like it's like um, I don't remember the name of the episode, but the one where they go to to Berlin and it's like um, oh the the Vin Vendors yeah uh, episode yeah yeah I can't um, remember 
Um, and like he he like ha- has like emotions about the job that he's being asked to do, but then keeps doing it. Um, and I just want to put him in a situation where, cause like, I feel like in Ghost in the Shell, like that's the most deviation you get from like people just fully accepting what their role is. Um, and, and I think if like one, you removed him from the situation of his like longstanding crush on the major, um, which I think is like a whole influence in Bato as a character and like why he's still around. You remove him from that. You put him in a space where there are like more people who are like actively hostile about the role that they have. And I, and I don't, I don't know for certain, but I feel like Bato would end up being like a, you know, would end up being like a Kagami or like would be an enforcer. Probably would end up being an enforcer for sure. I think he'd be in a Kagami kind of close to Kagami in that I see him reacting to Makashima like you bastard like how dare you kill these people type of thing yeah while also you know rejecting the the system and uh struggling against that so it would kind of be like a similar I think he'd occupy a similar space in there yeah but it would be a different the Bato Makashima dynamic would be a lot different and like fun i think yeah um but then if you put kogami and ghost in the shell that's a whole different dynamic too because then you have like kogami in the major mm -hmm. it's completely different yeah where they're both just like they're they're much more similar personalities and i can see Mm -hmm. them like getting along but then kind of like maybe being a little more like tit for tat than the major in Bato. Yeah. There's like ways that they are similar and it, at times that would uh, create harmony and at other times that would intensify, intensify the conflict. For sure. Um, <clears throat> the one other swap I want to do, and this is uh, purely for selfish reasons, which is to swap uh, Kuze and Makashima. Um, because, uh, I, I, I don't remember if I posted it on, uh, the, the ghost divers Twitter account, but I did one of like you versus the guy she tells you not to worry about. And it's like Kuze and then Makashima. But if you did that swap, then I think second gig would be a lot better of a, a season. Um, and then psychopaths from what I know, like aside from the movie, nobody who I trust likes the other seasons. So... Like, then we could just write Psychopaths off, you know? Mm, yeah. <laughs> and then we'd have Ghost in the Shell, and Second Gig would be fucking great, too. Yeah. So that's the selfish reason. But Yeah, we don't, yeah, we don't need... We're not trying to redeem the... Yeah. We don't have any can vested you, interest in redeeming the other seasons of Psychopaths the same way can we Can you imagine the shit that Makashima would get up to in, like, the Kuze position? I, I can't. Like, Goto like, would be done. <laughs> yeah, no... <laughs> Goto would be nothing. But yeah, Makashima with like a cyber brain and stuff. Yeah. Because they both have charisma. That's the thing. Kuze's got the charisma and then like, you know, the super like cyborg body. Yeah, but I don't believe it when they say that Kuze has the charisma and I do when they say that Makashima has the charisma. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And now Makashima gets to like network together with the brains of a bunch of people. Yeah. Yeah. Unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. That would be good. Yeah, that would be a lot more... Uh, I think that removes... I don't know. I, I, I like Kuze. I think the problem with... Not to return completely to the second gig, <laughs> which we already covered. I feel like the problem is less like Kuze in himself and more about like the show wanting to force that like romance connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I don't mind him as a character. Like, I think he's an interesting yeah. character, but it's like the show just like re- wants, it's bad for I, Kuze and the major, you know? I feel like, like there was interesting uh, potential for Kuze and also like the stuff being set up around like no play dynamics with those characters. Yeah. Uh, but it was just like really poorly handled. And then the virgin stuff is like just stupid. I hate, yeah. I, hate I really don't like it. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah. We can fix, we can fix a sh- like a good show and make like the good show perfect, and then like offload the bad into something that's bad already. Yeah. Namely, the the. Well, I mean, we haven't really seen Supposedly, the second. Yeah, we have. We we yeah. will probably get to it at some point. I want us to. Again, I think one of the things when we don't have, like, a guest to join is that we just pick away at, like, okay, you know, I've picked one, or you've picked one, a a season, I've picked a season, Uh, here's the guest season, and we don't have a guest this time, so we're just gonna, like, watch another Ghost in the Shell thing we haven't seen, or a Psychopath thing, or we're finally gonna do Rebuild of Evangelion, Um, and I just have to find out if you like the last movie or not. Uh, I just need to know this. So. <laughs> we have we have a long way to go before we get there. Yeah. <clears throat> um, um. So yeah, those are the those would all be good swaps. I this is a fertile ground for swapping Ghost in the Shell and Psychopaths. Yeah. Um. Do we m- want to move on to the next one? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> I will say, I watched. I don't know if I mentioned this at any point. I did watch one episode of the second season of Psychopaths back the first time I watched season one. Yeah. And uh, I watched one episode and I stopped (laughs) because it was just like, I can't remember it all too well, Um, but it really felt. You know how sometimes like you watch something and you like it and then there's a sequel and it's like maybe, you know, different production background, like there's different personnel involved yeah. um, and it's really different and you're like, ah, whatever, I'll watch it. Like no big deal. Um, and then you watch and you can like immediately perceive that it's different. Yeah. And like not in a good way. That's kind of, that's kind of what happened. So to be fair, I haven't actually seen in full the other seasons. Um, but I think that's why I'm inclined to just like throw season two psychopaths yeah. under the bus. Cause I'm like, what if, I caught, what if I a season a of anime of has bad vibes? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. <clears throat> I, caught, I caught a glimpse of it. I felt yeah. the vibe and um, it seemed to, uh, to match the consensus. So, yeah. Um, next email. So this one actually came as an email for, uh, Em and I on stairwells when we had to, uh, emergency not talk 
about the movies that we watched and instead ah and instead we just uh asked people to send in non-movie questions so this first one we answered on stairwells if you want to answer this one connor you can <clears throat> what was um, your answer I was struggling. I did come up with an answer ultimately, but I was struggling for a while. Yeah, I I was struggling on air with it, and I still don't know if I have like a, a particular like really a thing that I I talked about is um I really like when a text has like uh conflicting versions of events where there is like no you cannot like reconcile what happened into a neat timeline. Mm-hmm. Um. And that's not just like a sci-fi fantasy thing, but it can happen in sci-fi and fantasy. Um, but I, I guess also it's one of those things of like, uh, it's a thing that I will sometimes really enjoy in, in those genres. Uh, but then I see general fans of speculative fiction, like create, well, here's the timeline that it will make sense in with like whatever time tra- or, you know, yes. all of that stuff. And, uh, and reconciling I, it. Yeah, and I just like when I think there's a lot of stuff that like fandoms try to reconcile that are actually intentionally like meant to be impossible to fully reconcile. Mm. Um, but yeah, speaking of, yeah, speaking of one of those things, <laughs> <laughs> um, my ultimate answer to this question is just Metal Gear Solid. The the literal question is what is the most your bullshit fa- sci-fi fantasy concept in a non-movie slash TV that you can remember? So this is kind of like Metal Gear Solid is like totally the plot of Metal Gear Solid is like bullshit in a way that I enjoy. So it's kind of like the thing that jumps out at me as like the thing the bullshit thing that I enjoy a lot. Uh, especially if I can get away with just saying like the whole franchise plot arc. Yeah. Uh, because then it's really, you really have a lot to work with there. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess the other like big thing I could say here is, um, like sort of broadly, there's this trope that uh, I would talk about as like the, the robot learns how to be human, but there's like a very specific, versions of it um and like one of the main ones that i would think about is not one that is a literal robot but like uh ray from evangelion and so when i watched double zeta and i was like the stuff that happens with pla and pla 2 is like what i liked about ray but even better so i think like the stuff happening with pla and pla 2 at the end of double zeta which i don't want to like go into more detail but that's like also extremely my shit um Mm. where you have like uh multiple you you have like this thing that i think is just true about people which is that we all have like multiple selves that we inhabit that uh change throughout time and also just like the context that we are in that like every person that we interact with is like a slightly different version of the self um and then it becomes like literalized within the like sci-fi conceit um and then you like especially with pla and pla 2 like you have a one version of the self having to reach out to another version of the self who is like in a darker or, or more troubled place to like try to have that connection and, and like provide some sense of a way out of like the situation that they're in. And that's, that's, that's great for me. See also Hikaru and Nova 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, so we we know this is a yeah a favorite yeah, dynamic. Yeah, Higaru and Nova is uh, also extremely this. Yeah. Um. Those last two episodes of Ray Earth fucking make all the filler in the the middle of season two worth it. <laughs> oh yeah, it's um yeah yeah Ray Earth is great. Yeah. Uh, second question here is Makashima a blurbo? I had to look this up. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be like, do you know what this means? Um, it's just like, w- like a favorite character of, of yours from anime. Yeah, right? or just like from shows in in general. Uh, the there's like a slight other version of this, which is uh, Glup Shido, um, which is specifically <laughs> like Star Wars influenced. But I think there's like a, a notable difference too, where. Uh, to me, a glup shadow is the Star Wars thing of there's there's like a character that appears in the background and you don't even know the name from the show itself or like whatever the media is. It's like an ancillary work that gives a name to it, but you care a lot about it. So you watch Star Wars and you point and you go like that's I, like IG-88 is, is a glup shadow that like got prominence. But like, I don't even think they ever say IG-88 in the Star Wars, like the original Star Wars trilogies. Okay. But people care about the robot IG-88. And so Glup Shudo is that, but like, you know, going into even more, like people don't know what this is. Okay. Um, I also know the term Scrimblo Bimblo, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that one as well, but I I feel like it has like a video game uh, tinge or like that's where it originated. Um, but I don't know the like quite the exact difference with that. Um, but then Blorbo is, I think it originally comes from a, a, a Tumblr post where someone was like, uh, bitches will be like, uh, previous tags, oh my god, on my post, and I check the uh, tags, and it's Blorbo from my shows. <laughs> um, and it's just uh-huh. specifically like, when people get really excited about a character that like isn't the most important character in the show or uh, the thing with Blorbo to me in all of this to, to summarize is like Makashima is enough of a significant character in season one that I don't know if he qualifies as a Blorbo. That's kind of what like, I was on starting that, to think. Yeah, but he could be. Because I I don't I do think that a Blorbo is not quite as like intensely niche as a Glup Shido. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that name makes me laugh yeah. every time I every time you say it. Um. Yeah, the Glup Shido is really good. That's a that's a that, I think that's my favorite of the names because it's also such a you could see it being a Star Wars. It's name. so Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. It's perfect. Like you're like. Why? Why would they name a character Shido? And then, and then you look at actual Star Wars stuff, and you're like, "Well, they did name the musical style Jizz, so I guess if we're like, we can do whatever we want." <laughs> yeah, this is the the camp. Yeah. This is like the the deep camp. The uh, like hidden away, uh, repressed campness of Star Wars coming out. Yeah, or I guess it's but, not really hidden or repressed, is it? It's pretty. It's pretty evident. I think that there is a way. That I, I feel like Blorba is a little bit more um, elastic because I think there's like a way that like I respond to images of like rare earth characters 
like even like main characters where it's still kind of a blurbo because people don't really know Ray Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I we haven't answered the question, but it is a resounding. I'm not sure. Probably, maybe. I mean, if <laughs> it you depends on the, the exact like, limits of blurbo criterion, yeah, and just be like, is this a is this a, a favorite character? Um, I think he might be for me. Yeah. I think he's up there. I, I mean, we made no secret of, uh, of our, um, the fact that we like Makashima as a character. Yeah. Um, I think we can move on to the next question, which mm. is, uh, what do you think about the differences between how Akane on Psychopaths and the major on Ghost in the Shell uh, keep being turbo cops? So, like, um, both of them ha- are, like, cop brain, but but what are the differences there? Um, I feel like the, the first thought I have, I feel like the major more, like, directly enjoys the police work. Mm-hmm. Like, the Major is just, like, really, really good at being a cop and, like, enjoys pretty much every aspect of that. And I I don't think she has, like, Akane has, like, a a ideological argument for why she thinks that this is valuable work, even as she, like, wants to change the systems or whatever. Um, You know. Yeah. Yeah, Akane Uh, is, like, doing it to protect, like, the law. And, like, yes. people and stuff. And that's and really like, her primary concern. An ideal of what the law is, which means in the moment having to protect, like, the actual law, but at the heart of it, it is the ideal law for her. Yeah. And the major likes that by being a cop, she has immense authority and power <laughs> and has a, a fucking kick-ass body. Yeah. The major she likes gets being... to do cool shit with. Yeah, the major likes being, like, the state of exception. Like, yeah. she likes being able to be, like, outside the law. <laughs> uh, and, like, more powerful than everyone else. Uh, yeah. And Akane is like, no, we have to protect the dignity of this thing. Like, yeah, this is everyone's hearts, like, <laughs> formed into, you know, formed into the spirit of the law. And this uh, is the reason why. I don't think the major I- gives a shit about that. Yeah, and this is the reason why I don't know which of these two characters I could better, like, convert. Because Akane has, like, there's, like, an ideological idea uh, and, like, goal and focus that she has. That I I could, like, directly try to challenge and argue with. But also that is, like, a, a belief that she has there. Whereas the major... I think if you just like push and pull it the right way is about how like she lacks like ultimate power under the system. You could push her to do some other stuff. Yeah. Or like, is power the most important end to like be pursued or, you know, that one, I don't know if I could fully challenge, but I think like (laughs) the, the amount in which she is like, um, she both is the booth that tramples, but is also trampled under it. That's the thing that, like, maybe I could get through to her about. Mm, yeah. um, and the way that, like, her body is not hers, which is, in fairness, what, like, the, the Oshi movie is. You know? Yeah. I, it's yeah. her having more of that, like, confrontation. So. That's what, um, yeah, I was about to say, you also get kind of, like, different versions of the major. 
Yeah. Um, so the the original film, I feel like there's a lot more space there. Um, yeah. But and then if you, you ask us like, about the major, we're going to think about standalone complex first. It's just who we yeah, are. <laughs> yeah. But then you have like solid state society major who's just like mm-hmm. giving up on. <laughs> but she's still uh, so cop brained in solid state society. It's why I love that yeah, movie, but. <laughs> for sure. But she's just like giving up on like, you know, social change uh, or like sociopolitical change. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just like, in a way that's kind of uh well, yeah, we we also covered that too. So, you know, we don't need yeah. to rehash that here. We've got a whole three um, hours of coverage on Solid State Society. People should check that out. Yeah, that was, I, it was honestly very refreshing to watch that at the end of our second gig journey. Yeah, it's a good, <laughs> um, it's a, it's, yeah. it's a good movie. Um, now, I, I tried to take as much of a screenshot of the, the email that was sent to us as possible. Um, and some of these, but not all of these, have uh, Gmail suggested responses. How do you think we should respond to Joe from these suggested responses? The options are good questions with an exclamation point. What's the question? Question mark. <laughs> or very interesting exclamation point. Can we? I'm just going to combine one and three for good, interesting. No, we we have to do. I have to just click one of these buttons that will send an email back to Joe instantly. Okay. Um. <laughs> uh, oh, number one. Good questions. Yeah, I feel like okay. that's the more, that's the shittiest okay. <laughs> response. <laughs> that's that's what that's what we're here with. Um. All right, we're gonna move on to the email from Ina. Um. So I don't I don't know if uh, at this point Ina has has caught up. Um, I let her know that like we we had to push back the recording, uh, and and I know she was like kind of excited about that that she might be able to finish it before we actually record this. But I'm glad my illness um, could bring you joy. Yeah, but this uh, email is uh, was sent in uh, more. More than eight days ago, eight days ago when I did the screenshot. So uh, this is, I think, before she'd watched any of it. <laughs> um, That's impressive. So, yeah. Um, Good questions for not having watched any. <laughs> yeah. Uh, should, I, should I respond? Good questions. Or I kind of wanted to glad you enjoyed it. But you got this is also inspiring. No, I think, well, Ina, I think Ina needs a you got this. Yeah, you got this. I mean, I'm just sending this now before we even answer them. I just want to, I want her to know that, that she's got this. She does. Okay. <laughs> so, um, question one. How would each of our main characters travel down the Boston cop slide? This is the meme where the guy just like eats shit coming out of the slide, right? Yeah, and nobody can quite figure out why he like went so fast out of the slide because <laughs> uh, no other human being who's ever traveled through that slide has gone that fast. Um, okay, I'll let you. I'll let you get first crack on this. Okay, um, we'll we'll go through character by character. I don't know if there's anybody you think we need to add to this list, but I didn't do all of the the like. Uh, arc killers, I just went with Makashima for, like, antagonist. Um, and then the rest is the main crew. Do you agree yeah, with this? No, yeah, I think... I don't know if we're going to be able to come up with different yeah. ways of coming down the slide for all 
Yeah. For this, I think this slide one will be quick. Um, Icon A just rides down. It's a fun time. You know? <laughs> Sorry, I pulled up the video and, like, the still frame of, like, the video is just... <laughs> it's just, like, his, like... Him, like, just exiting. It's, like, yeah. legs first. And one leg is... <laughs> He's like fully <laughs> diagonal. One leg is like out of this slide. <laughs> um, Kogami does somehow rocket out of the slide, but he meant to do that. He's trying to move quickly to catch a perp. Yeah, he does like a somersault and like, you know, prop like pops up on his feet. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Makashima, I don't know. Makashima's hard because he's not a cop. Do we want to skip him because he's not a cop? <clears throat> I think Makashima is just like you're like watching the the opening of the slide, um, and he like <laughs> uh, you already know where I'm going with this. <laughs> no, I thought I I thought of something else. We'll get to it. You're like watching the opening of the slide, and you're like waiting for him to come down. He just like does it, and then all of a sudden he just like comes down like sliding on the top of the slide with just like his feet yeah. and he just like stands comes to, like a dead stop like a sudden stop physics defying <laughs> like at the edge the very edge of like the mouth just standing yeah. on the top of the mouth of the slide and then just like uh strikes like some really cool but like casual pose uh like nonchalantly just like a feat of completely inexplicable, uh, like gymnastic and athletic composure. Um, I was laughing a lot, and it was a little bit your description, but it was more me thinking about uh, Gino is just absolutely like take Gino the video is the, is the video, yeah, take, <laughs> take the video and just draw Gino over the other cup. <laughs> And so yeah, I was just like imagining someone break. like frame by frame drawing Gino <laughs> <laughs> over like, you know, just rotoscoping Gino going out the slide. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, Masaok is fine. He maybe like tumbles a little bit. Yeah. But he's he, like, like stumbles. Yeah. He's like laughing about it. Like he's yeah. like, he enjoyed himself. Um. I think Yoi just like goes down face first, but it's fine. Okay. Yeah. I see Kagari. Well, no, I'm not going to skip. Um, yeah. Uh, Karnamori Shion. Um, I don't, we get the least of her as a character, so I, I'm not quite sure. Oh, I know what it is. Yoi, Yoi goes out and then like immediately after they come Karunamori down, goes out. they come down yeah. the slide together. Yeah. Yeah, they're just like tangled up when they get to the bottom of the slide. Uh, and then stand up and like straighten up their clothes and walk away. Yeah, yeah, brush themselves off. Yeah. Uh, Sound like you had something for Kagari. Kagari goes down face first. Yeah. And then he just like eats shit, right? <laughs> just like but in, straight but in into like the But in like a ground. charming way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, like he intended to, to do that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think, I think we've answered it for sure. Uh, 
Ina we'll says, I've been on hold with an insurance company at work for one hour and 17 minutes as I think of these questions. Question two, what are the psychopath characters' preferred pasta shapes? Now, it sounded like you did research on this. I did not. I did do research, and okay. and I'm, uh, I'm glad I did because, first of all, so I went to Google, <clears throat> and uh, thrilling so far, I know. Um, I went to Google, and I typed in list of pasta shapes. And that brought me to a very interesting Wikipedia article that was exactly what I wanted. Except, <laughs> for some reason, the title of the Wikipedia article is List of Pasta. Yeah. Um, which took me, caught me off guard a little bit. <laughs> uh, I just didn't think that's how that grammar worked. Uh, so, anyway, List of Pasta. Uh, we have all the different pasta shapes here. I don't know if I'm... Uh, well, let's just let's just figure it out. So, Akane, you have the link now too, so you can kind of yeah. chime in here. Um, Akane, I already know. I'm already giving spaghetti to Makashima. Okay. The um, spaghetti like or <laughs> <laughs> spaghetti, also known as Makashima, <laughs> likes. Uh, normal people doing things in a normal way. And what <laughs> That's could true. be more normal? I, I was thinking for Makashima, it's just like Kraft Macaroni. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's very yeah. down-to-earth as well. Yeah. Whereas I think that Akane is spaghetti because it's just like uh, straightforward, uh, stays to the path. Like, you know, you just got those long noodles, those long dry noodles that you're putting in the water. Uh, there's sort of a certain practicality to them. Uh, they're also sort of an idealized form of pasta. Um, yeah. Yeah, spaghetti is, like, very much, like, I believe in the system. Yeah. You know, you're not yeah. deviating. There's no deviation in spaghetti. Yeah. Not There's not a single bit, and that's why... That's and I and I think Makashima is. also likes macaroni specifically for macaroni and cheese and how like every family will have their own macaroni and cheese recipe and stuff too, you know. Yeah, it's so he, representative. Like, also of, cares like, about that. Yeah, yeah, he likes the homey like traditional. Yeah, you know, spaghetti is traditional, but it's like too. Again, it's too representative of this like of what you were describing. It's a, yeah. it's like representative of like normative normativity, but like a different aspect of normativity. Yeah, like the one that he doesn't that he doesn't like. Yeah. Um. For Kogami, what are we thinking? The thing is, I based on this Wikipedia article, and this feels correct to me. Um, noodles are not necessarily pasta. So like ramen I don't think is on here. Which mm, which is yeah is no, is not. fine. I I think that he would be a ramen guy, but I I want to stick to pasta, you know. Yeah. So the the characteristics that I'm I'm thinking of and trying to apply here are like So Kogami is like you know he's obviously tortured and brooding and uh very intense um but he also has a playfulness about him you know he's got a sense of humor and yeah he's got a, a deep humanity uh he, he's down to earth 
Um, so you're thinking radiatory. Uh, I was... <laughs> that's not where I was going with it. Uh, okay. Oh, let me have a look at uh, radiatory. Oh, they're shaped like radiators. Okay. Yeah. This is like the futurist pasta. It's created between the First and Second World War. Shaped as a radiator. Um, I was going to say fettuccine. Because fettuccine has like... Fettuccine is a little bit tortured. You know? <laughs> it's yeah. just like... It's got that gravity I, to it. That I don't think of fettuccine as like tortured and, and playful in the way that, that you're... You know describing here so you want you, you want to go with radiatory then is that um i was hoping I, we, would, I we wouldn't so. have to dig that deep i i i want something that is like uh extruded in this way it doesn't necessarily have to be radiatory um, oh i see yeah like yeah. It, it could they, be like cascatelli or something mm-hmm. but there is like a uh extrusion process there is a going through the the machine involved within it yeah, um, I, I like that. But then you result in something that has a certain sense of like play or levity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, you could look at like a rigatoni, but I just rigatoni doesn't doesn't seem to yeah to fit there. Yeah, it needs to be slightly more playful. Okay. Um, and like a little bit of like, ooh, what's this when you see the shape, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, something mis- like you want to know more about it. Yeah. You just instantly know that there's something like deeper that just captures um, your attention. For do you, do you have something for Gino? Um, yeah, I think Gino is probably like a linguine. Yeah. There's like a a a certain like linguini has like a certain sense of like um you know this is fancy you know yeah. it's not like really that fancy but there's like a little bit of like oh it's linguini you know, it's it. not spaghetti it's linguini yeah it's like to me linguini is like <clears throat> you have spaghetti but it's like flattened out yeah right like. Gino wants to be spaghetti. Like, he wants to be Akane, but he's not. Like, he's just flat crushed by, like... He can't, you know, keep his shape under the pressure. So then he just gets, like, flattened out a little bit in a way that's just, like... You know. He's, like, become Linguini. And Linguini, it's not, like, flattened enough to become, like, a fettuccine. Like, the flatness isn't... It's this in-between state where it's just kind of unremarkable to me. Yeah. Uh, it, it hasn't, like, flattened enough to become, like, something else. It's still, like, attempting to be spaghetti. Yeah. Um. But then it's also that thing of, like, uh, it's, again, I think there's, like, a slight, like, yeah, you're just, like, making spaghetti with, like, marinara and meatballs or whatever. But, like, linguine, like, you're going to get the linguine. You probably have something in mind, like, oh, I'm going to do it with, like, a pesto sauce or something, you know? Mm, yeah. There's, like, that little extra, like, I'm trying to be fancy. But you're still, like, going and getting spaghetti, basically. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. You know, you're not like widely, wildly de- deviating from what spaghetti is. Right. Yeah. You're, you're not coloring outside the lines too far. Yeah. You're staying pretty close to the, to the, the center. Um, I feel very, very strongly that Masaoka is gnocchi. Okay. I like that. Cause I, I think that man just wants some mashed potatoes in his pasta. Yeah. Yeah. He does. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, Masaoka is, he has the artfulness and the patience to like, to be gnocchi, you know? Mm-hmm. Cause gnocchi really requires like that. Uh, what's the word? Um, that, that, it was like care, a, that carefulness. Yeah. And like a craft to making gnocchi. Yeah. And then um, like a, t- a tenderness, but, you know, and yeah. I think Masaoka has that. But then the result is still something that feels very homey and like hearty and filling and substantial. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, let's see. Yayoi. Mm. Yayoi <clears throat> is Yayoi Bucatini. Is Yayoi Bucatini. (laughs) (laughs) I. (laughs) All right. I think we're good. (laughs) Let's just, let's just wrap it up right there. (laughs) In Um, fact, let's just end the podcast (laughs) because let's just end Ghost Divers. We're not getting, we're not gonna reach any higher point than that ever (laughs) (laughs) your reaction to it is what got me (laughs) Um. (laughs) just had like such (laughs) Uh, you just had like such solemnity you just were like (laughs) <laughs> taking it so seriously like pondering there, it and then uh anyway all right yeah is is Yoi Bucatini I don't know you tell me I just I just feel like in in my gut that whatever Yoi is there's like a few like this but there are like and you know the ones on here aren't always but like the specific like she's like Tagliatelli and specifically the ones that you get that are, is like this little nest that you see in the in the picture here Mm, I just mm-hmm. feel like there's like a, a tangle, but like that ultimately the noodle that you're getting is not like that complex, you know, or, or like that, like, uh, yeah, she just wants like to play music and with yeah. her, like hang out with her girlfriend and stuff, but she just like, just kind of got all tangled up. Yeah. Like, it's not like a bizarre, like Tagliatelle is like basically just narrow or fettuccine, but for some reason I always think of it as like, you get it as this nest. Um, I don't know if that's just the brand that's at the, you know, produce market that I go to, but, um, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, Karnamori. Mm, Karnamori's tough. Um, we need like a... <clears throat> Needs to be ve- like very playful, but also dangerous. There, there's a part of me that's like lasagna, but I don't think it's lasagna. I think, but yeah, I, lasagna there's like a decadence is too... to lasagna to me. 
Yeah. But it feels it, it doesn't feel playful enough. It's it's too like labor intensive. She might be like Farfalle. You know? You got those like little bow ties or those butterflies? I need to find Farfalle. I need to just like look at a picture of it. Yeah. It's like the bow tie pasta. I was gonna say um penne. Mm, because yeah. Yeah, because penne has those sharp edges. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's you know it's pointy and penne um, is a little bit sexier than farfalle oh no question yeah penne <laughs> is probably the sexiest yeah uh it's also like i mean who doesn't like penne and vodka sauce i yeah. feel like uh Karunamori is a is a big fan of vodka sauce yes um also it says here that the name comes from quill pens or feathers Okay, so, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's that sealed it. Um, and then Kagari. Kagari might be the bow tie pasta. might be Farfalle. I think Kagari is Rotele. Ooh, let me, I got to see a picture of Rotele here. Oh, once you see it, you, you'll know. Um, oh, yeah. This, <laughs> the, the, the pinwheels, the wagon yeah. wheels. Yeah. yeah, this is Kagari. <laughs> Kagari is like the Rotele that's like... It's some like child's pasta, yeah. In the like you know in the box with the like cheese dust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, you can get the Pokemon version. <laughs> They're shaped like Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay, I think we I think we've answered this. Mm-hmm. Uh, question three do you think the phone experience I just had where I got hung up on without getting the information I needed after one hour and 23 minutes on hold is enough to make the psychopath cop computer or whatever say I'm uh, too much of a sicko to live yes yeah, <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> probably <laughs> it seems to be pretty sensitive so uh, yeah. yeah that might that might do it Um, yeah, it's definitely activating eliminator mode or whatever it's called <laughs> Yeah, you're going to get... Yeah, it's... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, question four. Who is the favorite Sailor Senshi of each Psychopath guy? Yeah, we um, <clears throat> we spent like f- five or ten minutes reviewing each of the Sailor's personalities before this. Yeah, most of them I remember, of but it's been long enough that there's a few characters that like I don't... I don't like immediately have... This is who this person is in my head. So can um, we just go for the easy... Let's just go for the layup first and do okay. Akane is Sailor Moon. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sailor Moon, but also like a little bit Chibi Moon. Like she is Sailor Moon, but also the avatar that she uses when she goes into whatever the internet space is, is just Chibi Moon. Mm, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Uh, but she specifically likes Chibi Moon because Chibi Moon is Sailor Moon's kid. Um, Kogami? Kogami, I feel like Kogami might be uh, Sailor Saturn. Is that that's the one who has like the dark? Yeah, the dark side. Oh no, no, yeah. no sorry, no. That this is I mixed up Kogami and Makashima. Um, oh yeah, Makashima, Makashima would love I that. I do think is more Sailor Saturn. Yeah. yeah, he's interested in that that like you know dark uh, alter ego stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> 
Kogami, um, is it Sailor Pluto, would you say? Um, could be Sailor Pluto. Uh, especially with, like, I think a Sailor Pluto is, like, um, you know, she's, like, older and colder, um, but also has this, like, loneliness about her. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh, Gino? Gino's probably, um, Sailor Jupiter. Like, uh you know, cool and like intimidating. Uh, but then like in actuality, she's just like interested in like cooking and gardening and stuff. Mm, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah. I think that matches well. Cause Gino is like, you know, wants to be this hard ass and has all these, like has all this grief, but deep down he really just like cares a lot about the people around him. And he just like wants to care and be cared for. I think this yeah. works well. Yeah. Um, Masaoka is the hardest here, because uh, despite being in an anime, I don't think Masaoka has ever watched an anime in his life. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I don't uh, know. Maybe... Masaoka doesn't, like, watch TV at all. Yeah. Uh, if if you if you forced him, he would pick Tuxedo Mask. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that Masaoka goes for, like, a more like Genki type or a more like mature. Oh, maybe. Um, or like, I think Masaoko likes Sailor Mercury because he sees Sailor Mercury and sees his son, even though Gino is, has a different character, but like Masaoka sees Sailor Mercury just being kind of like bookish and nerdy. Um, and, having like a high IQ and everything and is like, oh, that's like my son. So I like Sailor yeah. Mercury. But like deep down, like gentle and Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Okay. Um I think that works. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Agreed. Um Yoyo's favorite is definitely Sailor Ur- uh Sailor Uranus because she's fucking hot and uh is just into that. I'm I'm positive. Are you on this uh Sailor Moon fandom dot com right now? No. Okay. I'm going to send this to you. Um, cause it has the different like, uh, photos. Uh, I guess these are like the, the different manga illustrations. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and, uh, the civilian form of, of sailor Uranus is, a is a real, is a trip. I mean, I, I have seen, <laughs> you, you've seen this yeah. before. Yeah. No, okay. I know all about <laughs> my favorite character is Sailor Uranus. Okay, yeah, I got you. Yeah. Yeah. Um I should I should have uh I should have kind of uh, extrapolated that. Yeah. Um let me do, let me just see if uh I know I have one on my phone, a, a meme of her. Uh I typed it into Google and did not immediately get it. So I'll just send this while we while we pick the next one. But I feel strongly. I mean Okay. You, she's a she's a me? noted race car driver. You telling me you always not into that? <laughs> yeah, and you with your uh, yeah. your red line, <laughs> you're all over that. Um, don't now the question the, is don't forget the Utena movie. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you yeah definitely. Yeah, y- Yoyoi and uh, Sailor Uranus are watching the 
uh, Utena movie together. Yeah. Um, Sailor Uranus was the first uh, Figma that I ever got. The first Figma? Yeah. Do you, do you not know what Figmas are? I don't, I don't think I do. Um, they're just, like, figures that have, like, posable, like, you can, like, move the limbs around and stuff. It's, mm. like, a, a specific brand of them. Um, but they are, like, figures that you display, but you can, like, pose them. Anyway. Okay, gotcha. Uh, well, the question is, is Karnamori also, uh, Sailor Uranus? Um, I, I think she's going for Neptune. She might be going Please. for Pluto as well. Yeah, but I think it's specifically Neptune because uh, Uranus and Neptune are dating. Like, oh, okay, not yeah. In the English dub, they are said to be cousins, but they are canonically dating in like okay. the original. Yeah, we're yeah, we can't break that up. Yeah. Um. And, and then, then Kagari. Can we just say Mercury? Um. Oh wait, no, Mars. Yeah, no, Mars. Mars would be the one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I found the meme. I didn't find it on my phone, uh, but I did find it um, on the internet, but, like, only as part of, like, a screenshot of a larger Tumblr post. So I'm just... I guess I'm just sending this whole thing to you. Oh, okay. But... Yeah, I'll, I'll just... I'll read it as we go through and... Um, the next question yeah let me uh toss this into i'll we've been sending stuff in puton we're doing this wrong but i'll send it in ah shit yeah whatever um anyway it's the top one um am i supposed to be able to read the text on the top yes so it's a picture of um her like civilian she's like wearing a a sleeveless uh denim vest yeah um and the the text says am i a boy am i a girl who knows but everyone finds me hot and that makes everyone gay (laughs) (laughs) and i I can read the bottom yeah um anyway okay yeah um that's that's pretty open and shut then we can move on to the email from Emrys. Um, so uh, Emrys writes in and says, uh, a couple thoughts, observations. First, you might not have noticed, but I'm fairly sure that the new inspector at the end was the girl at the academy investigating her friend's disappearances, who is abducted by the artist girl, but rescued by Division One before she could be plasticized. Um, I did not notice that. I didn't um, notice it, but I looked up the I looked this up on the second pass wiki, and this is correct. Okay. Um, then, secondly, the civil system increases Yoyo's crime coefficient to latent criminal levels after she develops feelings for Rena. Uh, so does the civil system believe be gay equals do crimes? Um, I, this is sort of a joke question, I know, but I I do think there is a certain thing happening with the civil system around like deviant relationships and I yeah. and like criminality and uh that like homosexual relationships or homoromantic relationships are uh being classified as deviant in some ways. 
Um, yeah, I, but we it also seems talk like... about the complexities of the deviance of that relationship as well. Yeah, I would say it doesn't <clears throat> not believe that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we have enough to say it, like that it does believe that, but it it's a thing at the in the level that it's at in the show. Um, it's not explicit enough that it, like that could be a, a true thing about this world. Or it could be that some of what the show is talking about when it's talking about deviant relationships, it is aware that it's talking about like gay relationships as part of like in our in our world. Yeah. Gay relationships are a thing that becomes classified as deviant in the way that this is talking about other kinds of deviant relationships. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I think the real danger is like it, as far as like what the show explicitly gives is becoming connected with people who are like criminals um, or like deviant. So then having that like too close of a connection, like turns you into like infects you um, because you're like, you know, you have, you're having this mutual understanding and then this mutual understanding is entailing uh, or entails, uh, you know, taking in the aspects of, of their mind um, or the, taking in that uh, the like worldview that they have or whatever, and then that's you know infecting you. So I mean, it's pretty easy to to see how this can yeah uh, think... how this can map onto like some of the ways that similar ideas are applied in uh, in our society. Yeah, thinking thinking about it a little bit more. Um... I think in particular, uh, the way that I would understand like the civil system and the way that I think it functions is, uh, being queer and, and specifically here I'm using like queer in the queer theory way. Like, um, Jose Esteban Munoz talks about this, uh, this idea of queerness as being like the thing that is always kind of, um, at the margins of like, uh, human relationship like that within that like I, I guess i'll explain this way is like within that like framework of queer there is a way that like the the quote-unquote white picket gays move exit out of the class of queerness uh the like theoretical class of queerness when they become uh normalized and folded into the dominant society uh when that becomes like a thing that uh, when it becomes like sanitized in a way, um, when that's like a thing that people lean into, uh, in ways that like, uh, other marginalized people also have things about like, um, you know, the sort of the politics of like the people who try to be like a good version of whatever that, that <clears throat> thing is. Yeah. When it's like um, largely reproducing the, you know, hegemonic conditions yes, or whatever that that like the the idea of like the quote-unquote white picket gays is like the the two gay men but who are in a relationship that is otherwise like largely replicating the cis heteronormative structures it's just like we've made this one change but we haven't like upset the way that society uh, conceives of beyond like this one single axis that we've like widened it slightly. Um, we, we, we are not challenging still the ways that like, uh, white gayness is still like a, a force of white supremacy in many communities, stuff like that. Um, 
It's not like radically changing the way that families are conceived of or uh, operate within society. There's still like this separation from the neighbors, this striving for like a, a certain suburban ideal, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so there's like a way that things can can become normalized and move move out. You know, this is like a, a completely different example, but like the way that left-handedness was once a thing that was like judged and now most of the time you don't even necessarily know if someone's left-handed unless it comes up. Right. Mm. Um, and it's not like a thing that's judged. We still have things that are inscribed within our language around like two left feet and stuff that like point towards this. Uh, but that like prejudice doesn't exist. It's become like part of the, the dominant just way that we can, you know, that gets exited out. And obviously other f- systems of oppression are far more complex than like left-handed, right-handed. But, um, that is like an example of a thing that has like moved throughout history in terms of like, is this oppressed thing or not? Um, <laughs> yeah. From being like satanic <laughs> to like, Oh yeah, whatever. Cause like neutral. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or, you know, it's pretty, as close to neutral as it's probably going to get. Yeah. Uh, there are still ways that like being left-handed is more difficult in society because society is built around right-handed people. But <laughs> there's yeah. also a way that a lot of that is just has moved out of um, that, like, more obvious oppressive form. Um, and, yeah, a lot of queer theory deals with the, the way that, like, um, you know, the, the uh, assimilation versus, like, uh, assertion of queer as, like, its own distinct thing. Um with its own, like, that, like, there's still, like, rights and stuff that should be there, but, like, it shouldn't be dependent on assimilation. So, um, anyway, that's a, a roundabout thing, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it, um, brings, like, context to the, uh, the thing with Yoyoi, um, and, like, the way that, potentially um like her relationship uh with rena you know it's it's i i use deviant in, in scare quotes here you know with all the um keep keeping in mind all all of the discussion we had about how that um how that term is complicated and in, in the show um but like the deviant like sexual relation and the you know, criminal the deviant criminality of the the relationship, like the how those two things are uh, conflated or like entwined. Um, so I think I think your yeah. comments kind of bring bring context to that. Um, want to do the the last question from Emrys? <laughs> yeah, why don't you do the honors here? <laughs> um, I don't know if you have any idea what this means. I finally. Is the civil system's attitude or aptitude testing and job placement system where everyone is put in a position in society where they are good and well adjusted to their job and match with good partners for relationships, just a more thought out and detailed version of the destiny plan? Um, I did when, when I learned more about the civil system, um, when I first started watching Psychopaths tweet on my, my locked account, um, that, uh, the civil system is just the destiny plan, but like years later. 
Yeah, I know this is from Seed Destiny. Yeah. Um, but I didn't spoil. I didn't read too deeply because I didn't want to spoil Seed Destiny for myself because I know it's a really good show. <laughs> um, moving on. <laughs> um, my brother writes in. Um, uh, I'll read through some of this. Um, so he says, uh, when you are. T- when you were talking about Teriyama Shuji, you mentioned that he became concerned at one point about his performances attracting people who were just there for the violence. Also, there was mention of criticism of Teriyama Shuji's work as sexist by some. Uh, I couldn't help but think that Psychopaths runs a similar risk. The most prolonged scenes of violence in the show are against female bodies, even when it's revealed that Joshu Kase is a... Uh, cyborg body. It's a female-gendered cyborg body that we see Makashima twist and hurl against the wall. Uh, male bodies we see, we mostly see get Akira body horror exploded, which is brief and so fantastic that it is distanced from real, <clears throat> real world violence um, or other brief brief methods. It's Makashima's lack of feminism and possibly even misogyny that made it hard for me to get, to sympathize with this project and character. He uses Rikako Oreo for a while. Uh, who seems to have a kind of feminist point she's trying to make as a rejoinder to her father's art, but she's manipulating and torturing her own classmates to do so, and he eventually lets her be disposed of by Toyohisa uh, Senguji. Uh, thoughts on any of this? Um, <clears throat> should we? Should I just finish the email? Because yeah, think it's let's all finish related. the email. Yeah. And then I think there's really two questions in here. Um, and then this reaction on my part is probably also connected with my disappointment in how the show develops Akane Tsunamori uh, into someone who is aiding the civil system. Early episodes are more focused on her, but as the show goes on, it becomes more focused on the Makashima Kogami dynamic and her as just a counterpoint to that. I interpreted how low or her low psychopath score as evidence that she could also be a criminally asymptomatic person and thought it'd be interesting if more of a dynamic had developed between her and Makashima. Instead, Makashima ignores her most of the time. Uh, what are your ideas for how Akane Tsunamore could be written differently? Um, and then I was also disappointed that we didn't get a flashback episode for Shion Karanomori like we did Yoyoi. Uh, I enjoy the exploitation. Uh, explication of Teriyama Shuji's performances, however, maybe I'll watch his film someday soon uh, because of Ghost Divers. Um, I don't know if you have initial thoughts while I drink some water. <clears throat> um, yeah, I think there's several uh, dimensions to this question that we could uh, just to take the Rikako Oryo element um, question. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that Makashima lacks, has a lack of feminism. Um, I think misogyny is, to me, a harder case to make. Yeah. Um, it seems like, and, and again, I, <clears throat> we kind of d- talked about this with our uh, postmortem on <laughs> Rikako. Uh, it seems to be that, well, I guess the first thing I'll say, Rikako is, uh, I think Makashima treats her the same way that he treats uh, Senguji, and I can't remember the um, the name of the, the previous killer, but the impersonator guy, um, where he's kind of like using them, exploring them, and then disposes of them um, in this way that is 
you know, brutal and also um, targeted to, uh, you know, what he views as the flaws in their their worldview or their philosophy or whatever. Yeah. Um, it is interesting. I don't know if we really fully impact the the way that Makashima dismisses the like. <laughs> I I think Wes puts it well by saying kind of feminist. Um, Rikako has this kind of feminist like argument that Makashima dismisses. Um, but when I'm thinking about it now, you know, when she's being killed or about to be killed, um, he's quoting from Titus Andronicus, um, which, you know, it, again, um, this is like a piece of literature that they're sharing, um, that they're like communicating to each other through. Um, and Rikako is talking, she talks to Makashima about how she enjoys the brutality of Titus Andronicus. Um, and then he kind of like seems to, he responds in a way that, uh, you know, seems to agree with her, but in fact, uh, it's, it's more concealing his disagreement. Uh, and then we get to the, to the end when she's being killed. Um, and I can't remember the quotation exactly. Um, but it's basically like conveying, um, you know, the idea of like brutality being met with brutality. Um, and I feel like that this is the key issue that Makashima has with Rikako is her brutality and lack of empathy. Um, and he seems to think it's fitting that her death is fitting, uh, the brutality of it because she, what she really seems to be doing is enjoying the, the like torture and brutality of, uh, you know, her, her killing these other girls. Um, and I don't say that to completely dismiss, uh, you know, she's articulating, uh, these ideas about her art. Um, but I think what the show is giving us and what Makashima seems to take from her is that, uh, her, like her actions are really motivated by, um, this, this sadistic pleasure that's like targeted on, um, you know, hurting other girls. Uh, and then, so, you know, he has this kind of like Dantean idea of, uh, this like karmic or symbolic punishment where like, Oh yeah, you know, you'll be uh, brutalized as well. Um, so I don't know if it's a, uh, well, I guess that's the, that's the first thing I would say to this. I don't know if you have any thoughts so far. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I agree with that, that like, I, I do think that is the objection that, makashima has um uh, and i and i think like to to go i don't think makashima is doing this but i think that this is a thing you can read into the show itself this is the other thing i i want to get to um but that also like there are ways that certain waves of feminism 
have been used to to turn back against like um women who are feminine uh there there have been waves within like the feminist movement that specifically center a certain kind of female masculinity a certain kind of like uh the goal of feminism is for women to take on the the roles of men and in doing so get equality and then you get responses to that um in later waves including ones that like are having to uh think about and contend with trans people and uh how do you if you have a system that says that like men are uh the default humans and that women getting power means becoming like men then what do you do with uh like a Simone de Beauvoir type yeah and yeah. and what do you do with like uh then the idea of like quote unquote men who are like trans women who are like moving in that other situation that is not explained purely by um i mean turfs try to create ways to explain why this is some sort of power grab um but it truly isn't there is there's like transitioning is a certain like so many trans women are aware of the ways that they lose power in society by transitioning um the ways that like your employ like you you get less raises or like you become less employable and some of that is transphobia and some of it is also just the way that people will talk over women that like passing becomes a thing where you then begin to like encounter that sex sexism as well anyway this gets responded with things like whipping girl uh, a book that is specifically about the way that femininity becomes scapegoated as uh the issue rather than like the the broader systems of patriarchy um and so there's also a certain way that rikako's turning uh, like her uh brutality and her sadism around hurting other women is and also her i think some of her objections to the system that like to the school that is creating the prim and proper ladies that is like uh there, there are obvious issues with that school, but there is also a way that that issue can be a turning against femininity itself. Um, yeah, that, like, like I what want is... to be able to, to do violence. <laughs> like, I want like the the problem with you know this school and the way that it's like packaging and reducing women into like you know these compliant uh, like powerless subjects is that like is solved by me, Rikako, like, being able to do this, like, sadistic killing. Uh, like, I'm breaking out of this, or I'm, like, defying yes. it by, like, taking on the violence. And that the specific target of my violence is uh, the other women in this system who are, like... Destroying the pretty, being, o- the pretty yeah. objects. Yes, destroying, destroying the pretty objects. Destroying the, like, feminine object. Um... And I think there are ways that, like, her thing is more complex than just that, but there there is a certain critique of her work, I think, in that. That it, it turns its ire against the feminine object rather than, like, the the system that is uh, harming these girls and, and, like, limiting what they can be. Yeah. And I think um, it is, it's weird to say, like, it's lacking empathy. Um, and I think it's weird to say this about Makashima because of, like, you know, again, the heinousness of his crimes and 
the way that he is evidently sadistic as well. Um, but ideologically and philosophically, he's, he's clearly attached to ideas of empathy. Um, and he, he, he's often conveying that, uh, and like acting on it. Um, and I, I think that is, um, that that's why I hesitate to say, uh, misogyny um although it's definitely fair to say that you know feminism is not part of his project or or, uh seemingly a concern for him um but also there like part of me still uh liking makashima and sort of um you know when i say that he's the hero of the story i'm doing it slightly tongue-in-cheek but there's also a uh there is a grain of truth in that um and some of that is also like there are many, many, uh, thinkers and activists and things, uh, who I respect and I think have done really important work, um, and also have faults or limits in the way that they are viewing things or, or conceiving of things. Like, I, I am very Taoist. There's lots of Taoist texts that I find extremely meaningful that I think also point towards, um, like, later communist thought in the way that it is conceiving of the relationship between like the, the self and the collective and like um, all of that. Also, most Taoist texts are old books that are, have like deeply ingrained uh, like sexist ideas in them, in the way that they construct things, but that are also reflecting the way that that society, like a, a big thing in Taoism is that the the human brain understands and perceives of things as binary and that is not actually the truth but then it will talk at length about like the male and the female but you also have to read all of that knowing that within Taoism, like the male contains the female the female contains the male things are like it is not a binary it is like a everything is this bizarre weird spectrum and yet we always understand things by comparison to other and that's how we like fall into binary thinking all the time and it is a, a part of the, the way that the human brain works um which later science has shown that like people have a very hard time choosing between many different things and often the easiest thing is to choose between two and then yeah. like choose between another two to and, reduce and, like, phenomena yeah to like two categories yeah. yes uh and so you might break it down to okay um I'm trying to choose between all of like this thing that I want to buy and I'm going to first narrow it down by like this, uh, clear this binary feature. vector. Yeah. Yeah. This feature. Um, anyway, um, all, all of that to say that like the, the fact that I think Makishima has some failings in terms of like, uh, other aspects of theory does not mean that i i don't think that there's still and that also especially for the world in which he is operating that the stuff he does is like greatly needed and is also needed to provide the space for other theorists to be able or like other people to be able to come in and and bring these other changes about and so that's why i'm still deeply sympathetic for makashima even as i don't think he is perfect like uh, my love of him does not come from a, a viewing him as like uh, absolutely perfect or without flaw uh, but rather that like I, I think his fundamental project 
um, of trying to bring back this like empathy and connection between people is like a fundamental first step that has to happen for the society that he's in for other meaningful change to happen. Yeah. Um, um, for that. Yeah. Because I mean, with at least with the way that we discussed, like the fundamental problems of the world of psychopaths, um, you know, that, the concerns of feminism definitely like tie in to uh there there are like there's a foundational breakdown in just like human relation <laughs> that is yes. uh it that has implications for feminism but also like uh you know there's like maybe an earlier uh this breakdown is happening at like an earlier point in the construction of subjects that like uh not like not that feminism has nothing like is not implicated with that uh stage of like so formation of subjectivity um but also like it it doesn't if you have a breakdown at that point then like you know we're we're almost not getting to uh a point where we can like have uh like arguments of uh like feminist argumentation or some of these like higher order uh social uh like sociopolitical arguments Um, yeah because it's just so like uh human interrelation is just so like foundationally uh broken yeah and there's Uh, also a way in which um i can imagine a lot of feminist stuff happening within this world that is like uh in the way that also exists with like a certain kind of pop feminism in our society that is like fundamentally geared towards uh, to return to some of the queer theory stuff I was talking about, like an, an assimilate assimilationist mode of approaching this kind of thing that is about, um, you know, the, the thing I return to all the time that is also like uh, something that I think is like deeply ingrained into Ghost in the Shell, the way we were talking about the major and stuff, is the like uh, more female police officers, more female prison guards, like more female drone pilots. Like there's a form of feminism that is all about just like the girl boss going in and getting things done and, and more po- doing more, these... more women yeah. in positions of power. Yeah, more women in position of po- positions of power that I don't think are f- within our society fundamentally shaking. Like the the problems that are hindering all, like all people beyond, you know, the extremely wealthy, um, and like I I think as as important as I think feminism is, I think also the the class dynamics within um, this country are like really significant, and there's a way in which like a lot of other work can't fully be done until that stuff gets taken care of now we can still do that work and push that forward uh but there is a way that like uh capitalism as a system and the way that it folds in various oppositions to it um is pushing a lot of these other forms of challenge into 
a thing that still ultimately like reifies the systems of power in the same way that that the uh civil system is doing that yeah and Um, makashima's scope is fairly narrow um, yes honestly like his concerns even it's uh to to uh use a uh, quotation from one of your favorite movies uh narrow but deep uh like uh like the ocean around the small island in Dead or, Dead or Alive too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that that's like Makashima's concerns like are, are pretty narrow. Um, so I mean, there's a lot of like other things that aren't really on his radar because he's just so hyper focused on, you know, the set of concerns that we discussed <laughs> uh, that we identified. I, I think in. Uh, in the discussion episodes. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah. Um, one other thought I had, uh, and this is more about the first paragraph regarding, um, the, the most prolonged scenes of violence in the show are against female bodies. Um, which I, I agree with. I agree with this. Um, I think there's a way, well, this is the way I, I, I understand this. Um, I think, uh, I, IRL, um, violence is, is a gendered thing or the, the manifestation of violence is gendered. So, and, and, uh, in both locations. So, uh, in terms of, uh, the person, you know, how violence is committed, the form that that is taking, and then also the recipient and the form of like reception. Um, and I think psychopaths is, can, is engaging with that and conveying that in a way that rings true for me. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll let, if you have thoughts on that, I'll, um, I'll let you. I mean, this is sort of really, but like, I also had this thing where I, I wanted to talk about Teriyama Shuji, but not in relation to Makashima specifically here. Cause I think this, this thing has to relate more to psychopaths. And I think also a, a thing that we have before on this show grappled with, and we will continue to grapple with. Um, so I, I started reading, um, I'll, I'll have to return to the library long before I can finish it. Uh, but I might try and find a copy for myself someday. Uh, but it's a, a book about Teru Yamashuji called unspeakable acts. Um, and towards the very beginning of the book, uh, the author is talking about, um, want like some of the controversy around Terry Amashuji, uh, as well as like the paradoxical images that exist in his work, um, and, and covers some of the ones that are going to be discussed in depth. Uh, and I'm going to read these. Um, so these are uh, again, listed as paradoxical images that exist in his work. Women seen simultaneously as demon whores and as sacrificing mothers, Traditional social outcasts seen simultaneously as tainted sideshow freaks and as martyred saints. Japan's past seen simultaneously as corrupt, superstitious, militaristic society and as a lost idyllic paradise. And American culture seen simultaneously as grotesque bully and as cultural icon. 
And when I when you read these these four things, yes, these are paradoxical images that exist in Terry Yamashuji's work. They are also paradoxes inherent in Japanese society that that Teriyama is talking about. The the Teriyama did not invent like the Madonna and the whore complex or like idea of how women are viewed in society. That is a thing that is inherent in Western society, and Japan has its own um, version of it. You know, the the sacrificing mother is like that idea is really motherhood has like very specific Japanese contexts uh, that. You know, I, I think I liked about this book is they talked about the um, the tension when you're doing this work. And it's a thing that I think about a lot when we're doing this podcast, because we're covering anime, which is all Japanese um, of th- there's a balancing act or a tension between you do not want to go to the level of exoticizing Japan as some sort of thing that is like culturally unique and special. You also don't want to go the route of universalizing Japanese-ness into a Western context yeah. and saying Japanese culture is just like the universal culture, the universal culture being American culture. And so there's this line of like, what are the things in Japanese media that has this connection to other media? How is it flavored by local contexts? And that's like a, a much more difficult thing where you have to kind of constantly tread in there. Anyway, that's a slight diversion that, that I, I have. But, like, I think that Psychopaths, and this has happened with some of the other anime that we've watched, um, is trying to reflect the issues in, like, the society that is being made in. Like, Psychopaths is a, a anime that I think is talking about Japanese society and is also talking about, like, uh, modern society in general. Uh, there are ways that you can relate it to American society. I think there are some ways that it feels still like it is distinctly talking about, um, the, the complexities or, uh, intricacies of like Japanese issues as well. Um, this is true with Ghost in the Shell as well, like other series we covered. Um, the big one here. So, so the other thing is that also all this anime is being made in, uh, uh, both like local and global culture that has all sorts of prejudices that, that uh, sexism is ingrained. Um, a thing that I, we talked about a lot when we did the Evangelion series and that I, I continue to think a lot about and don't always bring up um, when we're recording is there's so many complexities around the sexualization of young women in anime. Um, and there's a way that that primarily gets talked about as sometimes being a Japanese problem or an anime problem that it is like, uh, located specifically within Japan. Um, and there's also a way that you can talk about it as like being this like global problem. And there, there's a far more, and some of this is just like, I've done research into this stuff, um, weirdly from doing Yakuza cinema stuff, but, um, <laughs> that, that like, I, I talked about this on, uh, in the Evangelion episodes, but I'll sort of repeat it here. Um, uh, of way. So young women are sexualized in anime for like multiple reasons. One is that the demographic for a lot of anime is shonen, is young boys. Um, and shonen is also overwhelmingly what, not it is already the majority of what's produced in Japan, but then is even more overwhelmingly what is translated and brought to the United States. Uh, shoujo comes over, but not quite to the same extent. 
uh, and then Jose and I would say sign-ins also probably gets a little bit more translated, but like Jose in particular, one doesn't get made a ton, but also very, very rarely gets translated and brought over. This is the same with manga as well. Um, and some of this is like, there is this market thing where not only does Shonen do the, the best in Japan, but it does even better in the U S and they're going to sell it here. Um, and then this is becoming flavored by the fact that the sexualization of young women in Japan is also deeply influenced by the occupation of Japan by the United States, where U.S. military soldiers were stationed in Japan and were raping women so much that Japan legalized uh, prostitution, including underage prostitution, in order to try to like provide a solution to that problem. And so there is a way that there is also, uh, uh, I think, an understanding to or belief for some in Japan that specifically what America wants is sexualized young women. And so it is also a, a problem that is far beyond like Japan. Uh, America is deeply uh, imbricated in, within it. And American society is also deeply pedophilic in slightly different ways than it's sometimes presents in Japan, but all of the way that it presents in Japan is influenced by not only the ways that American society is pedophilic, but is also specifically like exoticizing towards Japanese women and like Asian women. Anyway, this is kind of a, a big digression, but I wanted to bring it up because I've been thinking about it a lot again. Um, but also because like there are ways that psychopaths might as a series might be sexist because it is being created in a sexist society. There's also ways, as you say, female bodies are being brutalized more explicitly in the show because of the way that that also happens within our society. That, like, I, I think they're, whether it knows it or not, I think Psychopaths is also commenting on the fact that uh, police officers who in American society are heralded and also, I don't know if these statistics are the same in Japan, but, you know, Japan also loves police officers, but like police officers are, are generally heralded in American society. Obviously there's been a pushback in recent years. Um, and police officers compared to other professions are, are much, much, much more likely to go home and to beat their wives or their kids. Um, and they are the ones with power and they are also the ones who are most likely to, to do this gendered violence, um, and there's a specific way that our culture thinks about that violence against women as being more acceptable than the violence that they are stopping in the streets by shooting black bodies. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and that's, that's where I was going to go with it. Yeah. Where like, <laughs> so I went on a long tangent, but I, I got us back. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, all, all the things that you said are, are valid, um, and important, like again, important context. Um, yeah, but I think like, uh, you know, v violence is gendered in this way where, you know, the the when men do violence, uh, you know, it it tends to take a certain form, um, and I don't want to be reductive, so I'm not essentializing, um, uh, I, I'm just talking about. Um, I'm speaking in generalities, but I, I, none of these are essentialisms because, of course, like there are exceptions and it's not a deterministic thing. Yeah. Um, but with, uh, because of uh, you know socio-political context and the context of gender, 
when, when men do violence, you know, it often manifests in a certain form. Um, and when women do violence, you know, it manifests in a form that is maybe different. Um, but then I, I would also say when men are receiving violence, it's often in a certain form. And when women are receiving violence, it's often in a certain form. Um, so with that in mind, it doesn't, again, and I don't want to be reductive because of course men are suffer from, uh, are, are raped and suffer from sexual violence as well. Um, but it rings true to me that we see women, uh, we have this rape scene in psychopaths where, um, we see women being raped and, and being sexually, uh, uh, being victimized by the sexual violence, whereas we see men getting gunned down. Um, yeah. And so the, the forms of violence that are being visited upon the different people, um, I think to me, uh, it rings true. And I think it, it is grappling with, um, even if it's not, presented as an explicit concern of this show i think it is grappling with like the way that violence is gendered yeah um i know i mean i think the biggest thing here is and this is true of a, of a lot of work that i think grapples with this stuff um like terry amashuji's work there is always the danger that people will come for the violence and i'm sure there are there are many fans of psychopaths who love it because it's uh dark and edgy and violent and that's the thing that they enjoy about it is watching the violence and um i think that that is just like a a difficult thing as a as an artist that wants to talk about these things that's always going to be like a difficult thing that i don't think you can fully control how much does the audience just want to be there f- to watch the violence? Yeah, I agree. Um, because, you know, you can go through this um, thought experiment of like, you know, well, if if the, the thrust of my art is to condemn violence, um, well, you know, so we have this problem like that, <laughs> that has been articulated. So then, well, one, what's the solution? Well, Let's just not present violence <laughs> at all. Uh, well, that obviously only goes so far. <laughs> uh, we could think about how quickly that breaks down. Um, yeah. As if, like, if you're intending to uh, address violence in your art, uh, not being able to present it at all, um, that breaks down rather quickly. Um, and then you can say, well, Okay, we'll present it, but it will just be so, like, the work will be so explicit uh, and just, like, I'll just make it, like, the primary goal of the work to just be so explicit um, and condemning that, like, anyone who watches it just can't possibly be anything but disgusted. Um, But, you know, then you have, like, this kind of I think that has adverse effects as well, uh, not only for the work itself, but for the treatment of the subject. Um, and also, like, at that point, you're presenting the violence again. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, you know, if, if whatever work is presenting violence, this is my personal opinion now. I don't think it matters how how much condemnation you wrap it in. 
um, or how like critical, uh, how critically positioned it is, um, you're still going to have people who respond in a certain way, um, yeah. and, and pick that out and, you know, gain pleasure from it. Um, so yeah, th- I mean, this is a subject that we've talked about before. Uh, yeah. I think t- we talked about this a lot with Ava and like the fandom around that. Um, uh, and, and interestingly, I, um, I have more issues with Ano and the way that he portrays women, um, especially in like end of Evangelion. Right. Um, that for me, it tips over into this, this level where I think it, uh, is, I think that psychopaths is trying to present these things critically in a way that I think, uh, end of Evangelion does to some extent, but I think falters far more. Um, and I think some of that comes from, uh, end of Evangelion feeling, um, in, in some ways, like deeply conservative and gender essentialist about some things, which yeah. we can get into more detail when we talk about the rebuild movies yeah. and see whether or not you like the last. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll, we'll have the final, like, I look forward to, to yeah. discussing again, but Without I think we... saying more, I find the last rebuild movie, both deeply conservative and deeply sexist uh, or like misogynist. Yeah. Um, I picked that up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and yeah, but I mean, I, I, you might I may disagree up... because I also think the end of Evangelion is misogynist, uh, and, uh, you know, regressive or conservative, uh, but not nearly to the same extent. So we'll, again, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. I think end of Evangelion is, is also like to a, a immense degree, much more like ambitious in, attempting a much more complicated like grappling with gender explicitly uh yeah. than psychopaths <laughs> psychopaths isn't coming close yes uh i mean and, and if EOE i'm thinking is, about like, maybe crumbling or faltering under the weight of that yeah like a- attempt but uh, and if I'm thinking it's... about uh, Gen Urobuchi tackling gender, I'm thinking about uh, Madoka. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't think that this is his work that is thinking about that as much. It's it's thinking about something else more. Um, so. Yeah. But there is gender in it. Um, yeah. Like, as, as we've been discussing. <laughs> um, so, I think, uh, I think we can probably move on to the last. Uh, yeah. There, we could talk about this for a lot longer, but I yeah, we, we could, but I, I would like this episode to not be three hours. So, yeah. um, <laughs> uh, all right. So, so Akane. Yeah. Oh yeah. Akane. We, we need to, before we move on to the last email. Um, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed that Akane did not get developed more at the end. Um, th- there's also a part of me that like, there's also this note of like disappointed that we didn't get a flashback for Karanomori. Um, yeah, I definitely I agree with that. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. And there's a part of me that I watched this season and I'm like, oh, well, hopefully, like, Akane's still going to be around. Karanomori's still going to be around. Hopefully, that development happens in season two. But then I just know that, like, Genorobochi's not working on that, that people don't like like that season or other seasons that have happened since. Uh, and I'm I mean, like, there mm, might be more in the movie. Shame. 
Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm mindful of that, that like there might yeah. be stuff in the movie. Well, really and also what the show some of this stuff like, might have been laid out. Like, I don't know exactly how much the later seasons are just fully running with like, this has happened uh, again or about she's not here. Or is there a certain amount that like he, he laid out runners and they didn't necessarily handle it well. Um, like, I also just don't know those details of production. Um, yeah. I think but, really the problem here is like the show really needs a good second season. Yeah. To like develop this stuff because I don't know. I don't really take issue with, I think Akane has substance as a character and like meaning yeah. and a coherent like worldview that is interesting, uh, potentially very interesting, um, and like makes sense is like an important counterpoint to the Makashima Kogami thing. But yeah. she does take this back seat because, like, the Makashima Kogami thing needs to be resolved yeah. and, like, takes center stage. I don't have any problem with that. Um, there's also, I, I think, like, there's incredible power and meaning in Makashima and Kogami being the two people who, like, really connect. And I think that power would be lost if, like, Makashima is also having that connection with Akane. Yeah. Um, there's something, there's something powerful in it being, like, this one thing but then it, it does make me want to have um it, it makes me want to see more of kogami and akane coming together again yeah after this and yeah. the way that makashima like i i would hope and i don't know if this is true but like if there was a really strong season two to this i would hope that the season two to this would like makashima would be present not necessarily on screen but like within that dynamic happening between Kogami and Akane. For sure. Um, and I think season one is laying out, like, by the end of season one, we have the path forward, like, for this show that mm-hmm. is going to be, like, about Akane. And, like, Akane has a whole, like... Akane has uh, her, like, de- defining struggle, like, still ahead of her. Yeah. And it's going to be like this, this thing with Sybil and the position that she has like put herself in and then her, like the ideology she's formed and like what she does with that in the face of like, she's in this like position of tension that yeah. like she'll need to resolve. And that should be season two. Yeah. Um, and and some of it is this pacing thing of like Akane as the main character, um, should kind of have this gradual character development uh, and, you know, ho- ideally if the later seasons were good, you you would kind of forget about, oh, there's this part where she like falls to the back slightly while we while we like finish out things with Makashima um, because you're going to come back to her and she's going to continue to develop and like more interesting stuff is going to happen. There. Like she is allowed to persist. Um and us leaving here with season one, not even having the movie, um, it kind of it, there's a there's a way that I feel like Kogami and Akane in particular of all these characters are caught in this moment of stasis where um, interesting stuff has happened to them, but like it's it's not nearly enough, or they haven't like fully gone through what I want to see them go through. Um, 
which again gives me a certain sadness just knowing that people don't like later seasons so yeah um oh well <laughs> we'll get to them eventually yeah. hopefully hopefully they they are somehow good actually i i feel like we'll at least find interesting things yeah maybe maybe we'll do like a season or two and we'll be like ah actually let's just tap out where we don't we don't want to endure this more but <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i trust us highly possible to, yeah i trust us to be able to find interesting things to talk about um even if we don't like the directions it takes because we did second kick you yeah. know yeah. and i know that you are more positive on it than me but like we could still have interesting conversations there and i think you would also agree that second gig is no first season of standalone complex no i i think i i think second gig is like 80 to 90 percent great show and then 20 to 10 percent like very regrettable <laughs> choices uh but that's still like a 90 percent you know I yeah. I would be grateful if we had a ninety percent. Psychopath season two was like ninety percent great. Um, I, like, I would not go up to ninety percent great, but I understand how you get there. <laughs> yeah, I. I think it's like yeah, maybe eighty seventy five, yeah. uh, but like just, the the lion. I just want to remind you like of good. the chai stuff. <laughs> I know it's it's bad. That's yeah. why I'm like, okay, but it's such a small part of the show, though. That's why I'm like, there's there's so much good stuff in second gig. I'm I'm just doing it surely based on like percentage of show that bad thing occupies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's how I'm getting to that percentage. Um, uh, although I guess with the the Kuze major like romance, that kind of stretches so. Yeah, it occupies it. It's more. also the things of like, uh, in isolation, the Grass Labyrinth uh, episode. It's named after a Terry Yamashuji short film. Uh, I really love the the like, um, shop of memories. Like that's great. Just like as a thing, like there's there's a lot about that episode that like appeals to me aesthetically as things that i would like but then like the final conclusions of it and like what it is meant to say about the major and its position within that like show as a whole is like give give me that episode as a kino's journey episode and then it's fucking fantastic but in ghost in the shell standalone complex it i hate it it's bad Yeah. yeah so um do you want to move on to the final? Question? Yeah, we can move on to the final question. Uh, so a question asker to be named later writes in uh, notes here. Um, broad spoilers for the main character deals for fate zero and especially Monica Magica. Um, I'm just going to do a little moment in here. Uh, I'm not because I have to do a quick turnaround going to put in audio that says what to skip to, but I'm talking long enough that you can go and look in the episode description and I will have the point to skip if you just want to skip all of this because it's going to talk about like the spoiler stuff. I'll make sure to make a little mark in this so that I can put the the timestamp in there. Okay. Everybody ready? Mm, Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. So, uh... First question, years ago, a critic, I don't recall who, pointed out the archetypal nature of the main characters of Urobochi's three big hit works, which are uh, Madoka Magica, Fate Zero, and Psychopaths. 
Basically, all three shows feature a trinity of a naive and earnest hero who whose ideals are challenged by a hardened and morally gray compatriot who is entwined in a rivalry, a violence rivalry with a villain characterized by their lack of empathy. We can, we can quibble on the lack of empathy here for Makashima, but sure, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, also the hardened morally gray character is dressed in black and is really good at guns. So my question is what character would you pick from other media to make your own custom uh, Urobochi triangle. This one is going to be hard to beat. Uh, the question asker got, made an amazing triangle here. Yeah. Do you do you want to read it? Yeah. So the question asker said mine would be Kamiyama from Krohai. Kino, Great, Kino's naive journey. but earnest hero. Absolutely. Kino yeah. from Kino's Journey and Paptimus Soraka from Zeta Gundam. <laughs> uh, which that's. That's real. That's tough to top. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna have to collaborate because I can't think of a whole one on my own. Well, so, so I my, submit. Well, go ahead. My naive and earnest hero that I really want to do is Laurent from Turne, because he's okay. such a good boy, and I love him so much. And all of the Turne is about uh, testing his idealism and his goodness. Um, and like testing the limits of his just belief that the Gundam can be used for something other than violence. Um, and I, I just, I want more of my good boy. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I think that you are wrong, Laurent, that the Gundam can be used for not violence and the show that you're in also agrees, uh, <laughs> or that it can, it can be like fully rested away from its purpose as a, a machine of violence. Uh, but I want more of you and I want you to be tested some more. So, okay. Um, the hardened, morally gray compatriot. I mean, Kino is so good. Kino is really good. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's hard to choose a. Uh, well, because uh, I, I was gonna do um, Midoriya for the from My Hero Academia or Ash Ketchum. For the naive and earnest hero. Oh, um, yeah. The morally great compatriot. That's that's tough. Um, why don't we just put? Can we can we put the major in this category? Um, I think so. I I think she's a I think she's a little less morally gray, but <laughs> yeah, I'm, I love the major. We'll put her in here. Yeah. I've got I just Laurent have, in the major. This is this is good. <laughs> yeah, I just have I have Grist in the shell on my mind. Yeah. Um. And uh, for the the villain characterized by their lack of empathy, um. I really want I really want to put Takumi from Nada, um, but this is not <laughs> this would be a violence rivalry. There's just no. They don't even the major would destroy Takumi. I mean. <laughs> okay. Okay. Wait. Wait. Let, let's let's stop for a moment because now I'm thinking about this. Um. So so one, I think in the current arrangement we have, it's not talking me. Um. Right. I just I need somebody else who's going to be like good at guns or swords or something. Who's going to be like yeah, right? able to battle with the yeah. major. But let let's just think about the this tri this trinity of the naive and earnest hero the hardened, morally gray compatriot, 
and the villain characterized by their lack of empathy. May I suggest that my dream, uh, you know, Urobochi triangle here is uh, Hachi uh-huh. <laughs> as the, the naive and earnest hero, Nana uh-huh. <laughs> as the hardened and morally gray compatriot who is intertwined in a violence rivalry with a villain character, Takumi, characterized by their lack of empathy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I yeah, mean, I, th- could... I think that's my ideal uh, triangle here. <laughs> we'll we'll talk in a yeah. Uh, we're we're doing not an X in case people didn't yeah. know. <laughs> we were about to say that. Um, we'll talk about if Takumi is completely lacking in empathy or not. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's if he's completely lacking in empathy. Um, but I mean, I also don't think that Makashima is completely lacking in empathy. Oh yeah, no, I think we definitely yeah. we we feel almost yeah. the opposite. Um, um yeah let's i'm i'm satisfied with that yeah i, I have mean, the, i do like the fact that this ends with takumi probably being shot by the major and dying uh yeah <laughs> absolutely <laughs> he's uh yeah he he has no he has no chance yeah um did i i i'm fairly certain this must be like a I still have not figured out it. I I haven't shown this to you. Um, I let me let me uh, let me just pull this up. Sorry, I'm derailing us, but uh, <laughs> so I I was looking for just like a funny uh, image that I could post to see if somebody had uh, photoshopped like Nana from Nana, like Osaki Nana holding a gun, uh, and so I just googled. Uh, Osaki Nana with a gun. Um, and the webpage that was first delivered unto me, um, I feel like this must be like someone making up their own Jujutsu Kaisen, like OC. This is, uh, this, this image is a character from My Hero Academia. Okay. Okay. So they did just pull somebody from my hero academia and said that they were this jujutsu kaisen okay yeah, someone I is finally her name because i i saw this and i was like with this image i don't know like what is happening um and nobody told me for sure that they did not just put like they did not have a character in jujutsu, jujutsu kaisen that they like named after osaki nana as an homage yeah no this is uh this is lady nagant from okay mha um well i think it's very funny that she has uh exceptional sniping skill where she can basically snipe anyone from a very long distance with enhanced uh eyesight and she can also do cursed illusions and hypnotism and has a black beast called rashomon who uh protects her and can distort space um and also she has a hellflame technique uh, because if Osaki Nana had all of that, uh, Takumi would be so done. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Takumi um, doesn't have any powers yeah. other than... I still... I know that you have not listened to the episode of Great the Great Gundam Project that I guested on for the, the end of Sea Destiny, because you have not gotten to Sea Destiny yet, and I don't think you're listening to GGP even as you go through your uh, Gundam journey. Your... Uh, hermetic Gundam project. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's but, yeah, that's that, that's a good way to characterize it. 
without going into the detail about why someone asked this, somebody asked uh, if there are any other like idols, uh, like music idols, uh, who should be given a like a CIA, basically like a secret police. Um, and I, of course, immediately said Nana because also Takumi is going to be done. You know, mm-hmm. if Nana has like the CIA to like, he's going to be disappeared. Yeah. He's going to disappear. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, when I, just so you know, when I said that, uh, M said that they wanted to call me a comedy person, but they wanted to give the CIA to, uh, Kiara, who's a, their, their VTuber Oshi. So they couldn't talk. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Um, well, it's, it's anyway. good self-awareness. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like I'm going to put the timestamp for like after I read the question because most of it beyond that doesn't get into any details. Uh, I don't know if that will be fine, but... I think it's fine. Yeah. Um, second question here. In- unless you have more to say. No, I'm good. Okay. The, the second... Uh, and final question that we will be answering on this episode. Um, a question asker to be named later says, I also recall that Urobochi seemed unhappy with the spotlight of being a big star writer. And he was labeled uh, as that he was labeled as in the early uh, 2010s. Let me take another pass at that. This is staying in, but I just tripped over it weirdly. I also recall that Urobochi seemed unhappy with the spotlight of being a big star writer that he was labeled as in the early 2010s, but once he got to make his own common writer and then go and make a Taiwanese puppet show, Thunderbolt Fantasy, he seemed to be in a better place. My question is, what other writer or creative do you think should make a puppet show passion passion project? Whether this is for their own happiness or just because you want to see them work with puppets is up to you. Um, and then uh, question asker says... My answer is uh, crossed out. Andy Coffin, wait, he already did that. Uh, Yorog's Lanthimos? Y- Yorgos. Or Yorgos. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my answer is uh, Hideaki Anno. Wait, uh, Yuri <laughs> did that. that. That was also my joke. Damn it. That he, <laughs> I, he basically did that. So, yeah. yeah. I, it does seem like it helped. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, well, since we both had the same answer, that's gotta be the the true, that's the one true answer. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess while we're here and and while we're looking to the future, uh, Yazawa, I, uh, you know, famously can't sit at a table and, uh, continue drawing her, her, you know, life's work anymore. Um, but maybe she can like just tell somebody what should happen in the puppet show. That would be so, I would have such a mix of emotions. If that, <laughs> if that was like, yeah, Yazawa, yeah. I like continuing Nana, like finally it, it we're does, getting the final, like, you know, the, the it doesn't the have to be continuing Nana. Oh, oh yeah, just like anything. Yeah. yeah, but I still feel like even if she, even if it was like a new thing that was a puppet show, I do want to see the the like um, 
the puppet show that is just like full of like the depth of character and like melodrama um and like a deep loving understanding of like the pain that humans go through uh but like conveyed with puppets yeah that would be awesome yeah um so next time you know next episode we'll be back uh it's gonna be the intro to nana so we won't we'll have read we've already read all of nana um and when we record that intro episode we're also going to record the the next episode uh that will come out after that uh, about volume one but so i've talked on this podcast that like I think the way that we just have to handle it is like, uh, we, we're not going to try and like hide spoilers. Right. I, I just don't think that we can like even talk about uh, the way that I want to do the podcast and the way that I think will be most productive and interesting is if we can just say big spoiler things that happen like in the final volumes when we feel like it's appropriate. Um, and I, I just don't want us to like, feel like we have to hold back and, and not do the like work that we actually would want to do in that moment. So this is another thing just saying here, like if you really care about spoilers and you want to follow along with that season, um, I, unfortunately, like what I can say is just read through all of it and then listen to the, the, (laughs) the season, I guess. Um, and maybe reread it if you want, or maybe this the summaries and stuff will ground you and then you you'll just kind of go through the journey after you finished it all um ina is like i have 24 hours to read the entirety <laughs> of nada <laughs> um but that intro episode that's going to come out in two weeks um that episode will like that is the one thing where I I don't think we should do spoilers because I don't know who's been listening to Psychopaths who would then jump in on like the, I'm sure there are people not listening to this season that might jump in on that season so that intro episode we're going to explain about how like all the other episodes we're going to spoil things stuff like that I imagine that might be a fairly short episode because we'll be like hey we we did a like New Year special on this we're going to talk about a bunch about it um, let's just like do a little bit of you know ground setting here for people who are coming in specifically on this season to like explain what's going to happen yeah um and just to to make sure that people know spoilers possible but i keep wanting to remind people like if you really do care about it like try and read it now um because we're going to be like discussing volume two and (laughs) uh you know you might get some big spoilers uh so we'll we'll ramp up to the spoilers quickly yeah, I think we can probably go a couple volumes without. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, we can probably go a couple volumes without spoiling stuff from like the very end. But I still think there's some. So much of Nana has this framing of like you get to the end of every chapter and there's like a voiceover thing and it becomes clearer as it goes on that that voiceover is like a different point in time. A, yeah, a different point in time. And I I. I want us whenever those voiceovers happen to just be able to talk freely about what that point in time is and like sort of where people are at, even if we don't say some of the other big spoilers about what happens before that point in time, but how it's contextualizing Um, the, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also because I found on, 
on rereading it that it was sometimes easier to understand uh, who was actually the one speaking in the voiceovers because for a lot of it it's Hachi but there's like points where it switches to Nana and especially when you know where things end up it becomes like increasingly uh on on reread I found it really easy every time I would come to it I sort of knew who was talking um in the that like you know uh in those moments yeah I I want to call them voiceover because that's what it feels like that's like how it's done in the anime but it you know it's not actually voiceover but that's the effect. Yeah. Um anyway, I'm I'm really looking forward to us doing this. Um it's obviously I love Nana more than basically anything in terms of like media. Um I'm not saying I love it more than like my wife and kid and stuff, but <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. uh, when it comes to when it comes to media, I deeply, deeply love Nana, so I'm excited for it. Uh and we'll do the anime at some point. But we're just avoiding streaming services now. Yeah, I'm 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 really looking forward to it's gonna be very different from well, I I've been reflecting on it and, and I think it's gonna be very different from a lot of from how Ghost Divers has been. Uh um, yeah. And but like different in a good way. And I'm I'm looking forward to really just like immersing ourselves in Nana um, and engaging with something in a way that's a little bit different. Um, But like getting deeply, like really deep into these like characters and their relationships. And then through that, um, you know, of course talking about the work uh, and the artistry and all that. Um, But, but through all of that, the types of conversations that hopefully we'll be able to have about, um, you know, relationships and, um, you know, uh, love and like friendship and, uh, yeah. and, and all of these things. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm excited for it. Um, also I want to know if, people are particularly excited or interested in like us doing a manga and in particular Nana being this like um, sort of crossover between shoujo and, and Jose in Japan. Um, It like really hit with both demographics. Um, And so I, I see it sometimes talked about as like a shoujo, but it also like, uh, I feel like in general, Yuzawa, I leans more towards Jose which is like adult women. Um, and I think it's like bridging a, a certain gap there uh, where like both demographics get things out of it. Um, anyway, if people are excited about us, especially doing like sort of a Jose thing and doing a manga um, over on ornate stairwells, uh, which is the the movie podcast that I do with my friend autumn. Um, we're not talking about movies because of the SAG after strike. Um, and, so one, as a uh, sort of as a, a fun additional thing, we've decided to rename the podcast for, for the time being as the non-homophobia zone, which is what we refer to as when we start recording 
similar to you and me, Connor, we like sort of hang out and chat and sometimes I can go for like a half hour and then that ends up at the end of the the podcast. Like it gets moved to the end after the, the outro music. Um, and the outro music is Bela Lugosi's Dead, which is a 10 minute long droning goth track. Um, and so we joke that it's the non-homophobia zone because it would be homophobic to skip all of Bela Lugosi's Dead. Uh, I don't know why this joke came about, but um, you know, people who don't listen to all of the ten-minute outro song uh, are are really like not supporting us. So, <laughs> so now now it's um, taking over the whole podcast. Yeah, so now the whole thing is just non-homophobia zone, um, and we have friend of the show Cam Marshall uh, sort of offered since they uh support us doing sort of this this strike stuff um offered to like do a cover art thing so they are doing the non-homophobia zone cover art which i'm excited about um but uh what we've decided to do in the interim is we're also going to read some manga um and we're starting with ikoku nikki um which has has no official English translation, but people have told us this fan translation is pretty good. Um, people can can find it if they look for it. Um, and uh, Ikoku Nikki translates to like Diary of a Strange Land, basically. Um, but it's a Jose manga that ran for eleven volumes. Um, so, going to be doing lots of manga, basically. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be good. Um, yeah. Yeah, manga went from being, like, a small part of Export Audio to, like, a majority of <laughs> a majority of it, I feel like, yeah. very quickly. Yeah, I think also, like, uh, part of my franchise, which um, is a podcast that Autumn and Nora do, where they watch through media franchises, where you're like, they made eight of these? I thought there was, like, two. Um, obviously, they're not doing movies, and so they are going to do a podcast that I think the, the name they've fallen on is grip, uh, immeasurable. I think that's the name of it, but they're going to be, uh, I think reading through the fist of the North star manga and then maybe doing some of the episodes of the anime. Um, but yeah, lots of manga abounding. Um, coffee and comic books is doing Hunter Hunter right now. Um, so and th- that'll be running for a bit so yeah people like manga we've got a lot of manga in just like the export art- audio pipeline now um so you can go to exportaud.io uh to support the network you'll also find links to other podcasts there um truly like it would mean a lot if people would if you like ghost divers if you would go and support um the network even if there's not like a lot of ghost divers specific stuff there uh, you still get Pondering Puton with Ajishiro Taro and Hachimitsu Boy a week early. So you get it like basically the night that we record um, in that Patreon feed. So that's a great little thing if you're just fans of Connor and I and listening to us talk. Uh, we, we goof off a lot more on that podcast. Um, there's a lot of other stuff uh, that, you know, there's some if you do five dollars, you get exclusive bonus episodes. Um, one thing that we might start doing we have to figure out how easy it is to do this because Autumn will have to record everything on their end. But sometimes when I drive home from my my work, when I'm commuting, uh, I will call people. And one of the people that I call most often is Autumn because they're just around and we talk all the time anyway. Um, and so we are thinking about, uh, at least for a little bit, sometimes recording that phone call um, 
and like editing a little bit, but the audio quality is not going to be that great because it is going to be recording like my phone audio on onto their their laptop. Um, but we might record that and put it as a five dollar exclusive bonus episode sometimes. So, um, that's another thing people can look for. Some more content all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I said this on like another podcast, but, uh, truly if like money was not an issue, I would just like go full media company. I'm like doing podcasts. I'm probably doing some sort of like, uh, indie VTubing to like stream games. Uh, cause I'd much prefer that to just being on camera. Um, like that's just what I would do if, if I didn't have to worry about the money. <laughs> And the insurance, but unfortunately, stuff. yeah. <laughs> uh, but until then, I will continue to work a desk job that that pays pretty well and has pretty good benefits. Um, but I I do just enjoy doing this a lot more. So I'm I think we like ran through everything. Oh, I'll also mention around the long fire uh, podcast that I do with M on abnormal mapping. So if you go to abnormalmapping.com slash long fire, you can find that podcast. Uh, we are not doing manga there because uh, Icelandic sagas are not struck work. <laughs> uh, They're very old books. We have talked about at some point doing the Vinland saga manga just to like break things up and like do some stuff that's related to sagas. Um, but that's that's not immediately on the horizon. But it's it's at least been a, a half joking idea we've tossed around. Um, anyway, you can find the podcast at ghost divers pod on Twitter or just at ghost divers on co-host. I've been trying to post there again. Um, you can follow me at Fox Momnia on Twitter, co-host blue sky, basically any social media service I use Annie list. If you want to see the anime that I'm watching, um, and then, uh, where can people find you? You can find me at Rabelais. Uh, on Twitter and co-host. And that's it. I've rambled enough. I have to <laughs> edit <too>. this. <laughs> yeah. We didn't do three hours though. So we yeah. made it. We did two and a half. Yeah. It counts. All right. Uh, bye. bye. Come back everyone. for Nana. See you next bye. time in Nana Land.
I hit record? Okay. Um, yeah, time that is. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's do right at 33. 9.33. Or 8.33. Yeah. <laughs> Giving me a zero, zero. You know I don't like those. It's fine. It went fine. Oh, I, I forgot that you don't like this. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll challenge your super. I don't know if you if you have much for drink check. I just have like water, and then I drove into work today, uh, so I didn't have like my little um, electrolyte tablet at work. So I'm just also having that and like another glass of water. But like I didn't want to. Um, I, I had thought when we were going to record Saturday, my plan was to have a shot of Malort and then like a, a you know, sunny, weedy beer um, mm. and then have us decide on air. Am I going to do the shot and then like follow it up or am I going to do like a Boilermaker with this? So uh, that's disappointing. Um, that, that's but that would have been really it, fun. Yeah. Since I have to like work tomorrow, and I'm hoping that this episode doesn't go terribly long, um, I I opted to just stick with water. Um, yeah. So I have water. I have uh, oolong tea, um, but I got a new kind, and ooh, yeah, it's uh, it's branded as milk silk oolong, milk silk, milk silk, which. <clears throat> Uh, I can't even remember what this what the description at the store was saying about it, but it was enough uh, for me to to go for it. Um, it seemed good, and it it's like higher end, and I kind of wanted to try like a higher end oolong. Um, so after doing more research on it, milk silk oolong is apparently. Maybe not by that exact name, um, but it's, like, an established thing uh, to the degree that, like, there is a, like, true milk silk or, like, silk oolong that is, yeah. uh, it's, like, a, harvested a certain way, uh, prepared a certain way, and then it's, like, it's very high-end for that reason, Um but it's got like a, dis- a taste that's kind of creamy, and I guess that's why it got the um, the name. Yeah. But now there's like knockoffs, essentially. Uh, yeah. Where people prepare it with like actual dairy, which you know it, it's supposed to have the dairy taste just based on like the tea. That's the true like silk oolong. Yeah. Um, but some preparations, uh, I like that, you know, make it, I'm trying to do something cheaper and then they'll actually use dairy. Um, I don't know which one this is, but it is very good. Uh, it's like one of probably one of my favorite teas I've ever had. Nice. Um, the store website, the description says, um, I'm just going to read it because I pulled it up. Oolong tea from the Wu Yi mountain region in China. Uh, immediately after withering, the still moist leaves are heated in milk steam 
that infuses the leaves with their distinct creamy scent and taste. Subsequently, the leaves are rolled manually and dried. But this is the part that confuses me, this last sentence. Alternatively, a similar taste can be achieved by the careful harvest of the leaves at a very particular season and temperature. So, like, which one is, which one is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which one am I getting? Yeah. Because uh, the whole paragraph is, like, seems like it's describing how, like, this this product that they're selling is prepared. But then the, like, last sentence just completely... like shifts the frame to like oh no this is just generally talking about (laughs) this type of tea um but whatever i'm not questioning it too much because it is really good and i just want to like i'm just going to enjoy it for what it is without following the thread of like this is an inferior version of something else that (laughs) it it should be uh so i've got that um, and then I have two beers. I don't think I'm going to drink both of them, but it's the same ones I've had. So the, uh, the psychopathy, Madri, yeah. um, tropical IPA. So we all know what this is cause I've been drinking it. Yeah. And then the second one is this Rheingeist truth, which I alluded to, I think last time. And I don't think I ended up drinking it last time either. Um, it's been in my fridge for a long time, but you know, I think both of these are thematically appropriate. So yeah. I brought them along again. Uh, I am going to drink the, uh, once I'm done with my tea, I'm going to drink the, um, the psychopathy for just like <clears throat> one final go around with, you know, psycho themed yeah. beverage before you move on. Um, Especially since we're moving on to a, to a media that's not psychological at all, really. Yeah. <laughs> um, you talking about the the silk milk tea, the silk milk oolong or whatever? Uh, was it silk milk or milk silk? <clears throat> so the store that I bought it from calls it milk silk, and on the package okay. it's milk silk. But okay. uh, uh, have you ever heard of duck shit oolong? <laughs> I can't say I have. So Emily got it for me. It's like suppose like it's it is a really nice tea, and supposedly the name was given to it by the like the farmer who wanted to keep it for like themselves or whatever, um, and so people wouldn't buy it because it was like, well, this is the duck shit oolong, yeah. so people wouldn't get it, <laughs> um, and so just like has I don't know that that's like could be apocryphal, but that's the supposedly story, um, but it. I, I got it once uh, from Emily, just like a little bit, and it was very nice. Um, I found a website, and I just want to read these to you. <clears throat> because I think the way that they do the, you know, like, p- things will have, like, tasting notes. So th- so there is a tasting notes. But I, I want to <laughs> read through their tasting notes for you. Okay, right? please do. Keep in mind, tasting notes. Um, <clears throat> all caps, eyes, dry leaf, wet, uh... I'm then going to like less yelling where it's normal caps. Uh, So eyes, dry leaf, wet beaver brown, twisted large leaves. Eyes, liquor, (laughs) rose tinted, pale golden liquor. Eyes, wet leaf, tortoise shell green leaves. (laughs) This is like the slam poetry. (laughs) 
<laughs> nose, dry leaf, raspberry jam, and buttered dark toasted breads. Nose, wet leaf, cherry and butter pancake. Nose, empty cup, melted <laughs> butter, and, and macadamia nuts. That's all? <laughs> Mouth, <You're>... texture, <laughs> soft and creamy. Mouth, taste, melted butter, dried raspberries, and river rocks. Mouth, finish... Smooth and soft with a light oh, with a slight dry to juicy finish. And then finally, body sensation. Mildly <laughs> energizing. <laughs> okay, that's a little anticlimactic. Yeah. Um, um melted butter what was it, raspberry? Uh melted butter, dried raspberries, and river rocks for Malt. I taste. don't I don't know if I love that <laughs> combination. Yeah, I I feel like it tasted better. It was like a little bit sweet. Um, okay, yeah, that was like a nice mm, thing just about like river it. River rocks. That, yeah, and there's like you know how like tea will sometimes have that like um, we'll have that slightly like toasty quality to yeah. it. You know yeah. where you it's like a like um like maybe you like baked some nuts and like that kind of like the baked part of that quality is there especially mm-hmm. it's like not particularly nutty but like um but yeah and then it's like has this like sort of sweet like uh slightly floral slightly like sour fruit quality that's what i would say well your description um, sounds a little bit better although yeah. the uh <laughs> the artistry of the website description that you read is is still impressive um i feel like most teas for me are uh, mildly energizing or whatever, <laughs> mm. whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I like, I like mildly energizing. That's yeah. That's good. That's why most, most of the time. It's why I have coffee in the morning and then like afternoon, I usually don't drink coffee. Like once I hit noon, mm. cause I want it, if I need it, I want it to be mildly energizing, not like the full hit of, of coffee. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I shifted to drinking green tea in the, I have like one, I drink coffee in the morning. Um, up until like 11 and then i mean i used to drink it i used to just pound coffee all day long yeah. um but i stop around 11 and then i'll go at like 3 or 4 p.m and i'll make some green tea um like eight ten ounces of green tea and i'll drink that because i like yeah. to i like to be like a little bit mildly energized when i get home yeah uh so that's that's kind of, you know, that's how I, that's how I drink tea. <laughs> yeah. That's details that you didn't ask for. <laughs> um, do you want to get into the episode proper? Yeah. Let's not do to, it. not to, not to pretend like what you were talking about was boring because it wasn't. I just don't no, want of to course stick not. forever tonight. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, let me make a mark.